Um, I've been sitting there overcome by a yawning attack. <laughs> and uh, it's always a bit disconcerting when someone in the congregation yawns, but I imagine it would be a lot worse if I started yawning in the middle of my own preach. <laughs> but um, anyway, trusting that the, the Holy Spirit will energize me and you. Um, we're going to be having a, a bit of a satellite view look at the Bible today, at the Bible narrative, um, in order to set the stage for the gifts of the Spirit. So do have your Bibles handy. There will also be scriptures going up on the overhead. But we will be going from Genesis to Revelation, just to give you some warning there. Uh, <laughs> uh, as, as Zimbabweans, we, we find ourselves um, in a period of great change and uncertainty and I think maybe the word that springs to mind the most is, is chaos. It, it really is chaos out there. And the Apostle uh, Peter describes our experience on earth as one of suffering grief in all kinds of trials. But fortunately, Peter has good news in so much as he tells us that the trials we encounter have a purpose. Because every trial is in essence a trial of faith. The faith the, tri the trial comes to test our faith and our beliefs. And as we go through trials, we start to realize that there are gaps in our beliefs um, and possibly also that we, we, we're a bit wrong in some of the things that we're believing. And so what I've been getting from God is that our beliefs are a little bit like an incomplete script of a play which we're required to act in. Um, and since the script is incomplete, we aren't able to make sense of our situation because we can't figure out how we fit into the play and what part we're expected to act out. And I sense that today, I've had a very clear sense of this, that the Holy Spirit wants to give us more of the complete script. He wants to give us the complete script. And by filling in the gaps of our incomplete script, we'll be better equipped to understand our trials from God's perspective. Now you might be wondering what on earth this has to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, the gifts of the Spirit empower you to play your part in the script that God has written for you and for mankind. And if we don't have the full script, we're going to seek to use the gifts in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. We'll apply them in the wrong way, and that'll only lead to more chaos and hurt, and both of which are the, are the very opposite of what God wants. So we need to get these fundamentals in place. So what is the script? I'd like to, to tell you the story in terms of heaven and earth. And there's a bit of a roadmap of what we're going to be looking at today. Heaven and earth united, heaven and earth divorced, reuniting heaven and earth, and, uh, and then heaven and earth reunited, the final conclusion. So let's have a look at heaven and earth. Heaven is, in a sense, God's space. And earth is our space. And the Bible uses different words and phrases for heaven and earth. Heaven is sometimes referred to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's sometimes referred to as eternal life, depending on who is writing in the Bible. Earth is sometimes referred to as the world or the present age or the age of sin and death. Now, most Christians understand heaven and earth to be two separate places. 
we all live on earth and we understand our space on earth. It's got trees and mountains and hills and rivers. We live on earth. And then one day when we die, we hope to get transported into God's space in heaven so that we can live with him in his space forever. And we tend to think, this is where the incomplete script comes in, we tend to think that the story of the Bible is all about how to get from earth to heaven when we die. And that's an incomplete script, that's an incomplete story. And the problem with that perception is that it gives rise to a limited theology that isn't robust enough to deal with the trials that we face here on earth. And so let's see whether the idea of heaven and earth as two separate spaces is the whole picture, or do we need to complete the picture and join some dots together. The Bible teaches us that heaven and earth can actually overlap, that it's possible for God's space and our space to occupy the same space at exactly the same time. And in fact, the Genesis account tells us that our space was a garden called the Garden of Eden, and at that time, heaven and earth overlapped completely. God's space and man's space had merged, and that, that was why it was possible for God and Adam and Eve to walk together in the garden in the cool of the evening. Um, it, it was possible for them to enjoy intimate fellowship, and they could do it on a daily basis. And during this idyllic time, God ruled over heaven and earth, the same space, and he did it, this is very significant, by delegating authority to Adam and Eve so that they could rule over the earth as his representatives. Let's have a look at that in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. This is not a case of exploiting, this is not a case of dominating, but it's a case of serving and stewarding mankind as a, um, creation in such a way that it becomes more productive. So let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And then it continues, and then over again it refers to that we might rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in Eden, we need to get this, God was king, and yet he gave Adam and Eve authority and power to rule over our space, in a sense, the earth. But sadly, all of this changed. We start off with a place where heaven and earth were united. Now heaven and earth get to be divorced. Adam chose to give God the finger. Um, I couldn't think of a better way of putting it. He overstepped his authority by rebelling against God. And the bottom line was that Adam didn't trust God to be an authority over him. That's how Satan came and deceived him. He said, you know, is God really dependable? Is he trustworthy? Is he good? And so Adam didn't want to have to trust God and, and, and he didn't want God to be telling him what to do. So he began ruling over the earth for his own sake rather than for God's sake. And at that point, heaven and earth became divorced. God's space became separated from our space. Probably the saddest thing that we could ever hear about. But fortunately, this isn't the end of the story. And he chose not to leave us 
in a mess because we can all see the mess that has resulted when God's space was removed and divorced from our space. God originally intended for heaven and earth to be united. And so the story of the Bible is primarily the story of God reuniting heaven and earth. So how did he do that? How did God start this work of reuniting heaven and earth? Remember I said that heaven and earth can overlap. And what I'd like to do now is just to talk a little bit about that area of overlap. And this is when we need to start talking about temples. God chose to manifest his presence in a temple. Now the first temple was like a tent. It was described in the Old Testament as a tabernacle. God gave Moses instructions about how to build this tent. And then in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in that tent, that's where God's presence was manifested. And then later on, that tabernacle was replaced by the temple, which was built by Solomon in Jerusalem. And God decided that the overlap of heaven and earth was to be in that very special place, in the Holy of Holies, either in the tabernacle or later on in the temple. Now, let's take this a little bit further. God's space is filled with his presence. So it's filled with things like justice and beauty and goodness. But the earth, on the other hand, is filled with injustice and sin and ugliness, making it impossible for those two spaces to intersect. So how did God make that intersection possible? What did he do? Well, he began by establishing the rule that the temple in Jerusalem was the only place where people could come into his presence. Just imagine that, only one place on earth. But to enter his presence, the sin, the injustice, the ugliness, the mess needed to be sorted out in some way. It needed to be absorbed or cleaned up, so to speak. And so, so that there would be a clean space where heaven and earth could intersect. But this could only happen if you were an Israelite in the Holy of Holies in the temple, nowhere else. And for it to happen, um, an animal, usually a lamb, had to die. And so I'm sure that you can see the the limitation of this. It all sounds very exclusive, doesn't it? It sounds very um, unsatisfactory. If If the only way that I can get into the presence of God is to go to the temple in Jerusalem And to have an animal slaughtered in my place to absorb all my sin and ugliness and injustice, creating a clean space for me to be where heaven and earth overlapped, just very, very clunky and awkward. But the story doesn't end there. Take a look at this, John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word became flesh, talking about God now binding himself to humanity by coming down to earth as a human being, what did he do? He made his dwelling among us. And then John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So that we know that the word is referring to the son. So God, now this is so significant, God became a human being And he started living in our space on earth. 
right in the middle of the mess and the chaos that we experience. And now that word dwelling um, that John uses is a very, very curious choice of word that he uses because he wants to, to establish a very clear link between Jesus dwelling amongst us and the tabernacle. So that word, which if, you, if you read it literally, would be he set up a tabernacle among us. So John's linking this to the Old Testament, the place where heaven and earth overlapped to, the, to Jesus. And so what he's saying is that the intersection of heaven and earth is no longer a place, but it's a person. Wherever Jesus went, out into the mess and the chaos of the world, he created pockets of heaven on earth. He would heal the sick because there's no sickness in heaven. He would forgive sins. He would liberate people from the domination of Satan. The kingdom of God was starting to break out into the darkness and the mess of the earth. And at the same time, Jesus taught his followers to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, those animal sacrifices, they didn't work properly anyway. They were pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So let's just stop for a moment and just see where we've come from. Remember, we're tracing the story of the reunification now of heaven and earth. And we said that that reunification started through animal sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, very clumsy, only one place on earth that you could go to. And then it happened through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But folks, that isn't the end of the story. We need to continue with our, with our satellite view of the Bible. When Jesus died on the cross, and this is so significant, he made it possible for heaven and earth to overlap in us. And that is why the church, us, is described as the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is the same as saying that the temple of God, because the temple of uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is the, the personal presence of God. So we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Heaven and earth intersect here amongst us. So though we're a part of the earth, part of the sinfulness and the injustice and the ugliness, we've been made clean by the cross. And though we live on an earth that is full of sin, injustice and ugliness, we work to bring justice, goodness and beauty. And we follow Jesus' example. He said, every day you must pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's rule has come in a person's life when they align their will to God's will, because then God is reigning in their lives. And we also work with God to answer that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as there is in heaven. But there's more to the story. Remember I said that the story of the Bible is the story of God reuniting heaven and earth? Well, the story began with the garden where heaven and earth were completely united. They were together. At present, heaven and earth are partially united in us. But the Old Testament writers, uh, the prophets and the New Testament writers, they, they foresaw something different. 
a completely united heaven and earth at the end of the age of sin and death. And instead of a garden, what they saw was a new Jerusalem. They saw a city with the Garden of Eden inside of it. And this really appeals to me because I, I don't know about you, I love being out in the bush, I love being out in the wilds, but I also really enjoy the comfort of being in a building in, in my own home. And so what this is, is a combination of, of that, of the comfort in a sense, home comforts, but out in a beautiful garden. And so let me read to you as, as John the Apostle saw it. He said, I saw the holy city, this is in um, Revelation 21, verse 2. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and, they, and, and, with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then, later on, just a little bit further down at, at uh, the, the next chapter, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of, this, of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Can you see that the Garden of Eden has been restored? That heaven and earth have been reunited? Notice a few things in what I've just read. The first thing is that the river of the, the tree of life has reappeared. Remember the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden? And it was the tree of life that enabled Adam and Eve to live for eternity. And so that has reappeared. Then we also notice it says that both God and Jesus are enthroned in the city. Let me see if I can just find that. Uh, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So they're both enthroned. And then the, the mind-blowing thing is that we are in the picture. It says, it says that we will be God's servants and we will serve him. We will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. There will be no more light. We will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord will give them light. And then it says, and then they will reign forever and ever. Now isn't that a little bit curious? We've got God and the Lamb on the throne. And we are their servants. But we will reign forever and ever. Folks, this is Eden restored. Remember that in the Garden of Eden, God was the king, and yet he gave Adam and Eve the authority and power to rule over their, their space, the earth. And that's the divine order. That's what we were created to do. We were created to carry the name of God, to carry the authority of God, and to bring his rule on the earth. 
So there's the complete script. I just have to zip through. Heaven and earth started off by being united. They were divorced through the rebellion of Adam. We are in the process of reuniting heaven and earth, and ultimately, heaven and earth will be reunited. And our part, folks, we need to understand where we fit in if we're going to fully be able to process the trials that we're going through in Zimbabwe. Our part is reuniting heaven and earth. Now, to explain this fully, we need to just go back briefly. Do you remember when Jesus was being prepared, in a sense, by the Roman soldiers for his death on the cross? There were quite a few things, strange things that happened. Um, the first thing was that a crown was put on his head. Do you remember that? A crown of thorns. Do you remember that they put a purple robe on him? Now, of course, purple was a symbol of royalty. And a king would wear a robe. A king would wear a crown. And then they put a scepter in his hand. A scepter in those days was like a stick that was a symbol of authority. And then what did they do? They worshipped him. Then he was nailed on the cross. And what did it say on top of the cross? It said, this is the king of the Jews. In other words, what the gospel writers was, was doing to explain very carefully to us was that when Jesus was crucified, he was coronated. He was crowned as king. And so, what is the implication of that? Once again, a human had been crowned. He was exalted, but on a cross. But he had been crowned, and he was now ruling over the earth. A man was ruling again as a representative of God over the earth on God's behalf. But the reunion of heaven and earth didn't end there, because Jesus departed, didn't he? And he gave authority to who? To us. Because we are now, we have been recreated as, like Jesus, the new Adams and the new Eves. And so we have the authority and we're working towards that ultimate conclusion towards the end of the age of sin and death when heaven and earth are one day going to be reunited. And you know that the church, that's us, is uniquely equipped to do this work of ruling because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And remember that the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God. So you and I have the personal presence of God inside of us, ruling in our hearts, and this gives us the power and the authority to partner with God in the extension of His rule on earth. The rule of God is continuing to break out into the earth, and now it's being done through us. So heaven on earth, folks, is no longer a place, but a people. A people who accept the rule of Christ and seek to extend it to others. We do this by declaring the good news to other people, by asking them to repent so that Jesus can absorb their sins and so that he can create a clean space for heaven to flood into their hearts and into their lives. We do it by bringing the rule of God into our sphere of influence, into your sphere of influence. How do we do that? 
Well, in heaven there's no sickness. So we pray for people to be healed. In heaven there is no injustice. So we work for justice on the earth. We live as just people. In heaven there are no tears. And so we comfort those who are mourning. That's exactly what Shirley's doing, coming alongside her friend who's in that place of mourning. She needs comfort. She needs encouragement. Shirley is taking the kingdom of God, the rule of God, into that place. There are no captives in heaven. So we bring heaven to earth by setting the captives free. And folks, all of this was summed up by Jesus in the Great Commission. Jane, Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. He's given us the authority to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Remember what happens at the end of the age? Complete reunification of heaven and earth. Jesus, who was crowned as king on the cross, has been given all authority on heaven and on earth, and he commissions us as his disciples to extend his rule. And that, folks, was the ultimate goal of Christ's work on the cross. It wasn't only about getting us into heaven. It's to take the personal presence of God into the world, working to extend his rule, straining to bring heaven on earth, and giving a glimpse today of how things are going to end up in the future. So now we come to that question which I posed right at the start. How does this help us to process the trials that we're going through? Well, if, if you see the cross only as a means to get yourself into God's space when you die, you're missing the point. If you see the cross as a means to enjoy a comfortable life here on earth until you die, then you're missing the point. But unfortunately, we have been programmed by the world to seek our own comfort, our own happiness, our own security, and we see Christianity as a means to that. And so when we start to suffer trials of various kinds, we start to question God, and we start to question our faith. And I think it's a good thing, because we need to, it needs to be shown to us that our belief set is incomplete, that we need to have the picture fully painted. The goal of Christ's work in us is not primarily about our own comfort, sad to say. It's about setting us free to seek the comfort of others. How was Christ established as king? How did he, how did he rule? Well, he ruled, he was established as king through the worst trial that any human being has ever known. How did he extend the rule of God? How did he bring heaven to earth? Well, he did it by becoming the servant of every one of us. If we are to rule on earth as God's representatives, carrying the personal presence of God, the Holy Spirit, he will call us to do it in the same way as Christ, through serving others above our own safety and above our own comfort. And folks, this work needs to continue, irrespective of what's going on in the country. It's the reason why we've been put here. We've got a tremendous responsibility and we have the authority to carry it out. No matter how unjust and sinful and ugly Zimbabwe becomes, we are called to bring heaven to earth 
for the sake of those who are still in the world and who need to be brought back into God's space. Brothers and sisters, this is so important. Heaven on earth is no longer a place, but it's a people. It's us. It's the church. We are the temple of God. We have the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God, dwelling within each one of us. And in a more powerful way, not only in us as individuals, but us corporately as the church. And our mission is to rule on God's behalf, bringing justice, healing, freedom, comfort, and so on. Now, this would be impossible without the delegated power and authority of God through his personal presence, namely the Holy Spirit. And that's why over the next few weeks, we'd like to have a look at the gifts of the Spirit, gifts that are given by God to empower us for our mission and without which we would be dead in the water. And that's where we're headed, folks. We don't want to do this in our own strength. We want to make sure that we have God's sight in mind, that we have His direction um, directing our lives. So let's pray. I really hope that, that you have been challenged to renew your commitment to God uh, and to your mandate which is to extend his rule in the world um, and if you if you would like to recommit yourself to that for 2019 then I would love I would love for you to stand up for us to stand up um, I'm sure there's more than one person in this room so let's let's do it now if, if you want to commit yourself to extending his rule this year in 2019 just stand um, as, a, as a as a symbol and indication that you want to take God seriously. Um, and I just love the fact that when John the Baptist was presenting Jesus to the world, um, he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, that sacrifice that's going to absorb our sin so that heaven and earth can intersect in us. And then he goes on to say, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's that's why we had the series at the end of last year about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we want to build on that now, knowing that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, start to receive those gifts. Um, so let's just pray a prayer of commitment. Father God, just pray in your, in your, in your own mind um, after me. Father God, I commit myself to the charge that you have given me. The command to extend the rule of Christ. I want to do it in spite of my circumstances. Holy Spirit, please baptize me with power. Clothe me with power. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Come and take control so that I will be able to fulfill this charge that you've given me. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for coming. Um,
and we go out in the strength of God with great anticipation, looking forward to the, to the week ahead. And we'll see you again next week.